I think this is going to be, you know, very much by our view is there's been other things, you know, whether it's crypto and other things discussed in the past as kind of transformation on the financial yes, services. Yes, this yes. genuinely will be transformational for financial services. And that that's sort of our our dream scenario where Klarna could be this, you know, sort of your personal concierge financial advisor, suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, that could help you, you know, shift your mortgage around or save you money by moving your savings from here to there or help you save money with a, you know, purchase or making with a retailer. Suddenly these feel like an absolute reality. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Head's Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is no stranger to Head's Talk. He has spent over a decade in retail finance and has risen to the top within that time frame. Having had a number of C-suite positions, he currently heads an organisation that is a UK market leading provider of buy now, pay later services with a consumer base of over 18 million. Needless to say, he is an expert in payment solutions and payment systems. So an interesting conversation awaits my listeners today. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. U.S. Private Capital Forum Go Real 2023 launched now with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Alex Marsh is the country lead and the head of Klarna UK, the Swedish bank and international shopping and payments distributor. Globally, Klarna has over 400,000 retail partners in 48 countries. Prior to this, Alex was the CFO of Klarna UK and spent 10 years at Close Brothers, the UK merchant banking group, where he held several leadership positions to include the chief operating officer and the managing director of the consumer payment startup Close Brother Retail Finance, which was the recipient of the best new business launch at the Corporate Entrepreneur Awards in 2016 and the winner of the National Business Awards two years in a row, 2017 and 2018. In 2019, he led the sale of this business to Klarna. Alex is a chartered accountant and holds an MA from Cambridge University in Natural Science. So without further ado, and it's been a long wait, um, I'd like to welcome Alex again to Headstalk. Many thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Elaine. No, it's so good to be back. I think I was just looking through my diary. I think we were together in January 2022. So it's been uh, nearly yes. yeah, nearly a year and a half. So great yes. to be speaking to you again. Thank you. And uh, thank you. Yes, I was I was doing the same thing. When was the last time I spoke to Alex? And exactly, <laughs> it was January 2022. Um, so I'd like to start with a general update. Um, and would you like to give my listeners an update on what Alex has been doing since we last spoke? Yeah, I mean, it's been, I was thinking about it, it's just been a phenomenally busy um, you know, year and a half, just unbelievably busy. And I, I was trying to think about it, about kind of a few different lenses to it. I think from a business side, um, 
it's been like really big developments within our business and the kind of broader sector over the you know the past year particularly and i think from a Klarna side a lot of that has been in the uk broadening mm-hmm. out from being known very much as a buy now pay later provider to you know to much more than just a buy now pay later provider so um we've brought a load of new services to, to consumers in the uk in terms of mm-hmm support them in their broader shopping experience that could be uh, we've integrated our uh, price comparison uh, capability that we we acquired with price runner we've integrated a, a customer loyalty card program that we acquired through acquisition with stowcard and brought those both to consumers in the uk um and then yeah like beyond that we've we'll talk about it hopefully shortly yeah. we've brought like new capabilities uh integrating both open banking into the uk we've mm-hmm. brought we've really grown our pay now which is an immediate payment capability in the uk and then yeah, yeah some really exciting developments coming up around using um ai capabilities which again hopefully we can talk about the yes. business side yeah. just phenomenally busy i think if i look to other aspects um, plenty to talk about on a regulatory development side. So since we last spoke, I think there's been two additional consultations on uh, buy now, pay later regulation in the UK. Yeah, so hopefully you can yeah. get a chance to, to recap. Yeah, I want to talk about that later. Yeah. And, yeah. and then the last side is just to think how much our lives have changed. You know, when we spoke early 2022, we were coming out the other side of mm. the pandemic and sort of life returned to normal. And, you know, since then, we've had sad events like the war in Ukraine. Yes, we've had kind of global uncertainty in terms of, you know, uh, inflation and interest rates Um, and, you know, hence the cost of living crisis in the UK and the support that we're, you know, providing to consumers as they navigate through through those challenges. So, again, Mm. hopefully something that we can touch on, but just so much change, um, you know, it's unbelievable in a year. I know. Um, I think it was about three or four prime ministers as well. Yeah, exactly. I know, exactly. (laughs) We can touch on that when we talk about regulation, because I think that is one of the things when you have so much change going on, um, it's kind of inevitable that, you know, things, you know, for example, say in regulatory developments, things, you know, can slow down a bit. And that has been part of our experience. But yeah, Yeah. I can explain that in a bit more detail. I think think you should hold a thought on the regulatory stuff, because I really want to talk in depth about that at the moment. But um, just to, to remind the listeners, in your first episode, which was titled trailblazing BNPL. Um, Incidentally, I'll put put a link in the show notes for the listeners. We know Klarna is a big player in this space. I mean, everyone knows Klarna. And when you think of BNPL, you think of Klarna. So where are we today with BNPL? And and what is Klarna doing to ensure its position in the marketplace? Yeah, it's been... um... It's been a very interesting year in terms of you know perception of BNPL, and I think we have seen a big shift just conceptually in terms of how people view buy now pay later. So mm-hmm. again, probably we are seeing that shift during twenty twenty one into early twenty two when we spoke, where we were seeing adoption and use of you know buy now pay later becoming more commonplace. But I think now we've reached that tipping point now, where I think in the UK we're over twenty nine thousand retailers in our life with Klarna, and mm-hmm. we've reached that point where now most people I speak to. You know, they've got an awareness of Klarna. They've heard of it. They've seen it in the checkout. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and I think when we spoke last time, we talked about some of the, you know, the challenges we had as we grew to build trust and, you know, understanding yeah. Yeah. in our business and our product offering. And I think we've definitely started to see that shift. And, you know, supporting that has been that shift where once people have used the product, they've seen some of the benefits of the product, they understand it. Then actually they realize this product can help them, you know, it's, it's useful for them in their lives, you know, they can use it as an alternative to you know, high cost credit options like credit cards. Um, and I think that shift where now it's kind of yes, in yes, the UK, yeah. I think over 8 million people have downloaded our app, for example. So not only over 18 million people have used Klarna, yeah. over 8 million people, um, you know, have, have downloaded our app and it's become sort of part of their everyday life. They're using it, like I said, up front for much more than just payments. So you know, mm-hmm. it's an interesting stat for you. 
typically on average over half of our you know people who access you know the Klarna app uh, mm-hmm. in a month they're not actually accessing it because they've got an active payment with Klarna that they're kind of checking up on they're using it for all the other services that we've built in there that help save them time save them money help them worry less about their finances and mm-hmm. i think that's been a kind of a big shift so i think where are we at with bnpl now i think you're seeing much better understanding of the products better understanding the benefits that it brings to consumers and i think that's then just driving you know greater use and adoption both from merchants wanting it to have it as an option for their customers and to give them that choice of you know an alternative to to Mm -hmm. high cost credit um but then equally from a consumer side different demographics and i think that's been an interesting one for us um where i think linked to the cost of living crisis you know we're seeing now people you know typically the 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 age group over 55s Mm -hmm. has continued to be our fastest growing age group in terms of new users and that's very much is tied to people thinking right you know their personal situation has maybe changed or they're very conscious of you know their outgoings Mm -hmm. in terms of Mm -hmm. their mortgage or maybe their energy costs and that you know i always say credit can't you know give you more money but it can make your money go further I think that's what we're seeing, really smart people using interest-free credit to spread the cost, help marry it up to their finances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're mm-hmm. now at a point where over 30% of the adult population in the UK have used Klarna. Um, and mm. that's trending towards what we see in you know, our home country, Sweden, where it's much more, you know, it's 80% of the adult population have used Klarna. Um, mm-hmm. So we're kind of on that journey, I believe, in the UK. So I think that side of it, we're solving real problems, adding value. And I think we're in a positive position to you know, keep supporting and keep growing. That's interesting because I, I, listening to you, I, I was going to ask a question about sort of the customer attitude and, and behavior towards um, BNPL and how has it developed? And I think you kind of sort of answered that. And and coincidentally, I think there was a post um, I saw yesterday. It was a study commissioned by Klarna that showed consumers' lack of knowledge on the sort of the legalese on credit cards. Mm. And presumably, this is not the, the case for BNPL agreements. And I assume they're a little bit more savvy um, on that. Am I wrong in saying that? It's been really interesting, actually, getting to sort of the bottom of this over the past couple of years in terms of we've we've been all sort of trained to use credit cards. It's been part of people's sort of natural lives over the last, you know, they've been around for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's almost like a sort of historically been a rite of passage that, you know, a certain stage in your life, whether it was when people went to study or moved mm-hmm. out from home, mm-hmm. this was part of, you know, to get a credit card, build up a credit score, use it to, you know, purchase certain items. I think what we've seen, though, that sort of the way the credit card model has evolved over time, it's mm-hmm. become very predatory. You know, you you might yes. take out that credit card because yes. you, you know, you need to buy maybe this safe for your house, but you're suddenly given this credit limit vastly bigger than, you know, what you need in terms of that purchase. You're encouraged to spend more money. You're encouraged to make minimum payments. And in terms of how you're communicated with, it's often, you know, you go through this application process to apply for this credit card, but thereafter, you know, typically communicated, you get a, a booklet sent you into the post that no one reads, they chuck mm-hmm. into the bin. But and we found recent survey that yeah, two thirds of you know credit card holders don't know what the APR is. You know the interest mm-hmm. rate is mm-hmm. on their credit card, the most basic term. And it goes back to people have this vision of sort of credit cards as a as a payment option as being, of course, it'll be interest free to me. You know, fifty six days or thirty days yes. interest free. Um, you know, that's they go into it with that mindset. But just too often, you know, over half of credit card users typically end up in some kind of revolving cycle yeah. where they're paying yeah. interest and fees. Mm-hmm. Now. 
what you're seeing now with buy now pay later and it goes back to that piece you said up front about once people have tried it and used it it's yeah. a very different model it's tied to an individual purchase so you bought that sofa or you purchased that item and yeah. you're given a payment plan tied to yes. that individual item with clear payment dates it's interest free um you know, you're not going to revolve onto a uh, yeah. you know an interest bearing you know um charge on that purchase um mm-hmm. yeah if you missed a payment on it your account's frozen so you can't build up more debt so it's inherently a fairer and kind of more sustainable yes. form of credit it's, and not, I think, it's not as complex is it no and that, I think it comes back to that that's that understanding like it's been part of our challenge and frustration and regulation which we can go into in more detail but mm-hmm. it's been that Right now, we're driving better outcomes with our products and you see on a number of regulated products like credit cards. Yeah. And I think part of, as we bring regulation, which we fully support, bring regulation to the buy now, pay later sector, it's just really important that we don't inadvertently break or reduce access to these products, which are mm, helping mm, consumers mm. by trying to, it's almost like, you know, a square peg round hole territory yeah, yeah, where yeah, you're yeah. saying like broken protocols to explain terms and conditions, right? Let's bring those across to, to buy now, pay later. I think that won't help consumers. So I think... Consumer understanding and actually the way that consumers have been portrayed to use by now pay later are often as people who didn't understand their financial situation. I'd say the absolute opposite. These are, you know, people they who really understand confident. it and that is the most suitable option for them. I, I suppose, are, are you finding that fewer and fewer, um, in terms of demographics, fewer and fewer younger younger individuals are using credit cards and more yeah. so buy now pay later and and as you mentioned the over 55s are moving away from credit cards and on to buy now pay later what are you seeing in, in that yeah situation? that's is an absolute generational shift so in one of our latest surveys which we undertook over 50 percent of yeah. um, millennials so under you know below 40 essentially no mm-hmm. longer have a credit card and mm-hmm. that is that generational shift and i think we've seen that journey where we went from sort of gen z's who are some of the early adopters and that built yeah. up this perception of buy now pay later was only for you know young fashion yeah. shoppers but they were, they are, as you'd expect, they're the early adopters who are, you know, using new apps, going on new e-commerce sites where Klarna was yeah. available, trying things out. And mm-hmm. actually word has spread now. And you'll see that now come through into sort of, yeah, like the millennial group. But now, yeah. interestingly, Gen X and, you know, over 55s, yes. they're giving it a try. And it's it's an interesting dynamic with the cost of living crisis. We're very conscious yes. that responsible lending is key. You know, people purchasing items which they can't afford. It's not in the interest of the consumer, the retailer or the lender. You know, that's absolutely clear. Mm-hmm. That said, there's a real situation now where someone might have previously maybe been buying a pair of trainers for, say, you know, £75. And in the past, they would have said, right, I'll pay for it on debit. I'll buy it immediately. Um, now thinking to themselves, actually, there is an interest-free option here. I can spread that cost £25 over three months, you know, three payments mm-hmm. over 60 days. Actually, that can just help smooth my cash flow. Yes. And I think that's where you're seeing some of these, you know, different uh, age demographics coming through where it can just help their money go further by spreading that cost either whether it's a one-off item an unexpected mm-hmm. spend or mm-hmm. it could be an item for example we're seeing this in the cost of living crisis where people are taking advantage of where an item is potentially discounted yeah. uh, for a point of time rather than save up over you know a couple of yes. months to buy the yeah. item you can yeah. purchase it now at that discount but spread the cost over yes. that period of time mm-hmm. so really i think positive use cases um, which it's, know, it's a no-brainer. It basically, yeah. it's, it's a it's a no-brainer, and it's very hard for credit card companies to compete with with this model, um, as you as you see, and as 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 we see with um, in terms of the adoption of buy now pay later. And I'm going to go into the subject that I think you've mentioned a couple of times. So I think you're bursting to talk about this. Mm-hmm. To this, and this is about um, uh, regulations. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell me uh, about the latest with buy now? 
um, pay later regulations and how that sure. impacts Klarna? Yeah, sure. And I'll just give a brief recap because I appreciate not everyone's been living and breathing the journey like I have done. So mm -hmm. if you rewind all the way back to um, late 2020, um, the FCA um, via Chris Willard undertook a review of, of unsecured lending in the UK and came up with a number of recommendations, mm -hmm. one of which was to recognise that you know, during the pandemic, there had been growth in popularity of buy now, pay later, and mm -hmm. that there could be benefit to consumers to have additional protections for consumers. And so that was uh, those findings came out in spring of 2021. Um, and then we've been through a process over the past couple of years with then a number of uh, consultations from the Treasury around yeah. what would be proportionate and sensible regulation for this sector. Where we are right now, this week, this very week, the latest consultation from the Treasury, the UK Treasury, has um, just closed. Um, and that's looking at uh, gaining feedback on the, the draft legislation that would essentially hand the powers over to the FCA for the detailed kind of regulation of these products, um, mm -hmm. uh, product level. So what's been happening over the past year, we've had a couple of consultations from the Treasury. And I think there's been some real positive progress made there in terms of recognising the benefit of buy now, pay later. And again, mm -hmm. you know, even when we spoke a year ago, level of understanding wasn't that great. Whereas actually yeah. now, I think one of the yeah. sort of unintended consequences of so much kind of focus on the sector is much better understood. And I think it recognises that given these products are interest free, yeah. given that they have structured repayments, given we importantly and really important in a cost of living crisis that we underwrite on each transaction. So I could approve you today, Elaine. Um, mm -hmm. but then say if you apply to use Klarna in a month's time maybe your situation's changed I would say look right now credit is not the right option for you you've got a pay now option instead or you can decide to you know not make the purchase mm -hmm. very different to a credit card where you get a credit limit and maybe you're underwritten you know once a year um, so I think good recognition of lower risk nature of the products and the need for kind of sensible regulation then that doesn't restrict access to these products and keeps driving in and uh, enables innovation I think where we're at when I kind of take a step mm -hmm. back is We've been championing regulation for the sector. You know, it's been very much part of my life for the past couple of years. And and you you might ask why often people think you know a, a lender why would you be calling for for regulation? A few key reasons why we've been calling for regulation. One is actually to raise standards across the whole sector. So you know, from our side, we already offer regulated credit, so longer term lending in the UK. So mm -hmm. typically over 12, 24, 36 months. Um, we've brought those standards to our buy now, pay later, unregulated credit products. So we've already, you know, operate these products to that kind of standard. That is not true across all providers. Some aren't mm -hmm. doing the same underwriting, you know, the rigours of underwriting that we're we're doing where we use both credit reference agency information, open banking information, um, our experience of those consumers if they've used Clara in the past. You know, other lenders aren't doing that. And so, again, that drives a perception of the market, which is not helpful and damages mm -hmm. trust in the market. So I think raising those standards across all providers is one reason why we welcome it. Yep. Another yep. reason why I really strongly welcome regulation has been there are certain protections that we can't give to the consumer. So, for example, the ability if they have a complaint and they're not happy to refer that complaint to the financial ombudsman. I can't give that right to a consumer. I need regulation to give that right to, to our customers. So, again, we've been really championing that as you know, making sure that consumers do have that kind of additional recourse. So the starting point is we support regulation and regulating the, the set sensibly. Interestingly, in the latest kind of consultation, the draft regulation, yes, yes. many areas, it's positive. It's bringing those false, you know, complaint referral rights, bringing Section 75, a bit like buyer's protection to consumers. I think one area where I do have concerns is this piece around, you know, you touched on it earlier, which is around particularly, say, 
the customer journey for consumers. And let me just give you some really brief context on that. If you, if a customer goes onto an e-commerce site right now and decides to pay by credit card, the typical journey time is around 30 seconds. And that could be because they've maybe got their credit card uploaded into an, a wallet mm -hmm. or into the, you know, the, um, the browser they're using. But the typical time to make that purchase using a credit card is around 30 seconds. Using buy now, pay later right now, it's often perceived as being like zero friction. You know, you'll read that in the media, et cetera. There's no friction. There's, you know, it's not clear it's credit. Actually, the journey time using uh, Klarna to make that similar purchase would be around one and a half minutes. So about three times longer currently. And that's understandable. You know, they're going through the process to apply for a loan for that individual transaction. Mm -hmm. Actually, in the current proposals for the regulation that we're seeing, you know, worryingly, we've kind of mocked that up as to what that would mean for a customer journey if they were if those rules that apply typically more for like bigger loans, interest bearing loans, maybe if you're buying a car on finance. Mm -hmm. If you apply those same rules to buy now, pay later, despite the fact it's interest free and the average loan size is only £75, the journey time would go to over five minutes. And you think to yourself, will you sit there and go through that process to spend five minutes to apply for this to say buy a pair of trainers like we talked about earlier? Um, compared to 30 seconds if it was to put it on a credit card yes. so i have really grave worries about this sort of one size fits all uh -huh. um versus yeah. you know just carrying over and these rules to be clear Elaine, they you know some of these rules that could be carried over they date back to the 1970s you know they weren't drafted in the mind you know these are old <laughs> consumer credit tax rules that weren't drafted you know the way that we interact as consumers today so yeah. i think that's one area that we've been pushing hard on with the you know, the Treasury and with the FCA to really make sure they understand how these products work and how consumers use it. And the fact that mm -hmm. consumers right now, are they going to be willing to go through that kind of yeah. time if you put that much friction in? And the risk there is that they then, you know, you just drive consumers back to high cost credit options that they're trying to get away from. So that's well, been, you know, I feel so passionate about this in terms of making sure that consumers mm -hmm. continue to have access to interest-free credit and that they're not pushed away from it just because there's so much friction is put into the journey. It's so arduous. And, and, exactly. And, and the thing is, we, we, all, we know that in, with all developments and innovation, especially technology um, innovations, regu regulation takes quite some time to implement optimally and mm. um, from what I gather from you, there's quite a few consultations going on, etc. But where do you think, Alex, where do you think it will be optimal. It will be at a level that you think is best for consumers. When do you think this is going to happen? Yeah, I mean, if we look at the, I feel like the process has been quite slow over the past couple of years. And there's mm. a sort of understandable reasons for that, whether that's sort of uh, very soon after kind of proposals came around by that later regulation, obviously crypto, it kind of exploded. And, you know, a lot of focus has gone across to, you know, how do you regulate crypto and sort of the fact that, you know, there are greater risks, say, related to crypto than, say, our sector. Yeah. And, you know, focus moved across to that. We've also had lots of political changes, as we've kind of talked about in terms of, you know, in that time, yeah. you know, changes in, you know, in, within the Treasury and the Chancellor, et cetera, a number of changes over the past couple of years, which means, you know, there has been an element of kind of stop start with the regulation. And then mm. where we're at now is that the timeline laid out will look at regulation formally being placed at some stage, hopefully during 2024, which I think is a positive thing. It will bring confidence to consumers, confidence to merchants who are offering this payment option and mm -hmm. kind of trust. And it removes that last kind of piece that the credit card companies and some of the mm -hmm. other kind of loan companies have held on to where they've 
almost use the regulatory position of our products as almost to try and say that they've got sort of a USP over our business. They're using things like phosphorophthalate rights and sections of yeah, product protection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that falls away. And then you're just assessing the products on their on their merits. And that's where, you know, I believe then that point around currently, say, 30% of the adult population in the UK have used BNPL. It gives me great confidence that I will trend towards that 80% that we see in Sweden. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. one difficulty, I suppose, in that, position we're in now is that because the process has been quite slow the past couple of years now there's such a drive to accelerate pace which you know i think we've you know been encouraging an increase in pace but i suppose we're just really keen to make sure that the like really grave unintended consequences aren't brought yes. in for example yes. by bringing in these credit agreements which you know, pace but caution as well exactly because ultimately okay. this isn't something that you're going to be doing regularly yeah. this is you know this process has been running for you know nearly three years now and you know we want to have regulation which is fit for purpose and as a fintech company one piece that which we always push hard on is that you know regulatory uncertainty is not helpful where you have regulatory mm -hmm. uncertainty you don't know where the boundaries are and it becomes very hard to innovate you know it's it can be challenging to disrupt within existing regulatory frameworks you know yeah. big yeah. books of old laws coming from the 1970s where mm -hmm. you need to hire a team of lawyers and compliance experts to to interpret it's not easy for disruptors to have the manpower and the you know the yeah. budgets yeah. to, to yeah. do that so there's challenges already it's even harder when you don't know where the boundaries are yeah. And you're, you know, you're yeah. having to find them by being kind of challenged or criticised. So I think, you know, I think one of the pieces yeah. we've, again, been pushing hard on for the UK has been got such a good reputation in financial services and fintech is to bring that regulatory certainty and accelerate progress, but do it in a really sensible and proportionate way. And I think things like the consumer duty, which is something that the FCA have been yeah. championing, which is really focused on, you know, looking at customer outcomes rather than prescribing exactly how you should do something, I think is really positive because that would say, say you're looking at credit agreements that would say right let's look at like the outcomes to consumers you know if you survey them do they understand the key terms if you you know if you look at complaint stats are there mm -hmm. complaints because they don't understand what they signed up to mm -hmm. are there mispayments because that you know consumers again didn't understand what the payment should were they're all things that we don't see with our products because we're doing it well you know explain the products well up front and so that's much more of a focus on outcomes rather than saying you have to use this exact templated letter and you have to <laughs> make sure they've read every single word of it each time they use your product um it'd be much more about how do you communicate in an impactful way to drive good consumer outcomes and I, I, think I think that's positive I, th I think it'd be interesting to know and perhaps you can enlighten me on this um in terms of the regulations are you seeing regulations elsewhere in in a different country that perhaps the UK should um, take note, follow, or you know use as guidance? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So there's been a lot of focus on in different markets. You know, I'm the, the wider team have been involved in it. Mm -hmm. So the, the US regulator, the CFPB, have been looking at Banalpay later and they undertook a study last year to understand the sector better and are now working through you know what sensible regulation could look like in the US and then similarly in Europe. Um, they've been reviewing the Consumer Credit Directive. Um, and then also in Australia, um, which is, you know, Bonapalator is very popular. Um, the regulator there has been looking at, they have a model there where they use a code of conduct and they're looking at whether that should transition to, um, you know, across regulation. My slight frustration with the UK is that the Woolard Review, you know, authored by Chris Woolard as part of his role at the SEA, was, I think, a very sensible assessment of the mm -hmm. sector and some of the 
strengths of it and the value it brings to consumers and some of the areas of challenge which could be addressed through sensible regulation. I think the, the frustration for me is we've done this in the past in the UK was we do these great reviews, mm-hmm. real experts, mm-hmm. we put them out there in the globe and everyone gets to read them and learn. And then we don't act quite Intimate. as fast. <laughs> yeah, we don't act as fast as some of the others. And it's interesting, like a parallel to that would be if you look at open banking. Do as I say, where, but don't do as I do. <laughs> yes. And like open banking is exactly an example of that, where we've got such a good sort of reputation globally as a sort of you know, of yeah. being the yeah. champions of open banking. But then you look to places like, say, Brazil as an example, where they've really run ahead and sort of are, yeah. are really progressing that capability. And I think, you know, that's, again, it that's unfortunate for what's happened in the past couple of years where we maybe haven't had quite the progress we'd like to see. That mm-hmm. said, let's now work and focus on getting sensible regulation in the UK, both for buy now, pay later, but more broadly, consumer credit act reform, these laws mm-hmm. dating back mm-hmm. to the 70s. Let's look to reform those and get ourselves back and really position ourselves as the kind of global champion in financial services and fintech. And you know, I will do yeah. it, all I can in my power to support that. I think it's... Um, I just, I just, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm just wondering... You know, Klarna and perhaps other leading fintechs. Are you sort of putting your heads together and talking regularly with the regulatory bodies? Is there something going on that is pushing this forward? Yeah, I think there's a there's a few parts of that we've got some really good industry bodies in the UK who help bring you know different parties together. I think a really exciting development in the UK, which is was an output from Ron Khalifa's review into fintech in the UK and how to kind of you know, retain and build a sort of, you know, yeah. a global crown as, you know, a leader in fintech. One of the recommendations there was for what's called the Centre for Finance, Innovation and Technology, which was to have this sort of convening body that would bring together yeah. providers, but also regulators, policymakers, academics, experts, um, to really kind of champion where maybe some of the pain points are. And, you know, with hindsight, I wish we'd had, you know, it's called CFIT, the acronym. Mm-hmm. I wish we'd had CFIT to help sort of champion and progress by now pay later regulation. And mm-hmm. there's some really exciting, they've just formally launched CFIT early this year as a really great chair, Charlotte Croswell, and a really good CEO, um, Ez Britton. And, you know, they're looking at some of the, you know, potential pain points where that they want to focus on things like digital ID, because that's been something that we've talked about in the UK for years. Mm-hmm. And again, we look to other countries and they've been able to implement and progress that. We look to see Sweden where Klarna operates and essentially have a digital ID there, which means that fraud has absolutely plummeted in, in those countries because you can be very confident in identifying consumers. And mm-hmm. so it's really exciting to think about how CFIT can play a role now to kind of bring um bring all these different parties together. Mm-hmm. Um, and a really important part of that, Elaine, which I think sometimes gets lost, is to really make sure that you know, linked to those avoiding unintended consequences to really make sure that people understand how these products actually work. Because I think that's part of the challenge. We spend a lot of time with policymakers, regulators, and I'm always trying to, you know, we're doing demonstrations of our products, but always trying to convince them to like download the app, see it, experience it, understand that we are much more than buy now, pay later, use the price comparison, you know, use the product reviews, you know, understand how it can help you save time, save money, rather than, you know, just viewing us as a buy now, pay later provider. Um, and I think that's where, again, organisations, industry groups, CFIT can have a role to really bring to life. Because I always say, if you can't persuade a regulator, for example, to try buy now, pay later, you know, you could <laughs> use it for a £30 purchase, interest free over, you know, 60 days. Yeah. Because how are you going to get, you know, be confident, get them to use, you know, crypto to the level that they could regulate crypto appropriately? Yeah. Such a challenge. Yeah. So I think, yes, yeah, I think, but yeah, CFIT, I think is a really positive, you know, is a really sensible and strong recommendation from the Khalifa Review. And it's really good to see that that's now coming to force. It's got funding from Treasury and the City of London behind it to get it going. 
Um, okay. And I think it's got, you know, really good industry support. I attended a recent event um, so at the Guildhall and that's got really good industry support behind it. Oh, that's good. So it's sort of, sort of, sort of snail pace, but it kind of is getting a boot behind it. So yeah, and I think that's where that's the mindset. It's I think that's a really is a really good articulation of the mindset. It's like mm. we, we recognise where we've been and where we've got to now, but now it's like you know, put the blaster rockets on, and we're all ready to go. Motor. You, 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 I mean, you, you talk about in, term, in terms of the world level. You talk about sort of open banking in Brazil. They managed to implement it very quickly, and other places they managed to implement it very quickly. It, with the UK, is it more about, is it bureaucracy? Is it legacy or, or mindset? What What is it? What do you think? Yeah, I think some of it, you know, a lot of it was, you know, the post-Brexit kind of the Brexit dividend. Part of that was the ability to kind of, you know, um, have more freedom, I suppose, in terms of regulatory mm -hmm. developments mm -hmm. compared to when you're trying to bring together all these different member states and trying to find mm -hmm. kind of alignment. You know, that is a, a genuine challenge. Um, yeah, so that was very much part of the promise. And I think, you know, we've made this message very clear to, to government, and I think they do acknowledge it, that I think, you know, some of the complexity maybe mm. has meant that, you know, timelines and, and world events, you know, to be okay. fair, you know, yeah, we've it's... had a pandemic, yeah. we've had the There's cost of living crisis, and, you know, yeah. and yeah. I think that's part of the challenge that, you know, focus can, you know, understandably be drawn elsewhere. And I think that's why, again, I think if we can move towards more of a, a principle-based regulatory framework, so rather than like Europe's quite renowned because there's a complexity of trying to bring all these different... Yeah countries together it's quite prescriptive regulation has been part of its kind of history i think if we can get to a situation in the uk where we move much more to this sort of outcome-based regulation which is again looking more at like what experience are consumers having are they getting good value for money then actually that becomes a lot more adaptive to innovation so rather than having to go through all these regular cycles of let's do another consultation on this consultation yes you're you're ready to adapt to new products as they arise um and strikes me as sort of let's kick it down the the can down the road for the time being I think to be fair though, Elaine, like we had, like it has supported building up much better understanding of the sector. And I think, you know, to be fair to Treasury, mm -hmm. they've really mm -hmm. listened, they've taken on board, you know, whether it's consumer groups, have a lot of respect for consumer groups like Witch and Citizen Advice and the input they've given because they're seeing customers in you know, different situations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they have done a really good job of bringing all those parties together. I think it's yeah. just the reality of you issue a consultation, you give X months for people to respond, then it takes X months to review the outputs, then you have to issue it, and then that then triggers the next stage it takes time and okay, okay. Know, that I think has been part of the challenge oh. I think that we've okay. all faced but I'm glad you mentioned time because I, I want to move on because we've got more questions to get through sure. conscious of, of the time you mentioned the players the many players that have come into the market that have come into the BNPL market uh, and I want to talk about one um, of the recent ones and how if at all that affects um, Klarna that's you know with the advent of um, Apple Pay later. I know the launch is only in the US for now, but um, will you be doing anything differently? No, oh, I think, I mean, it's been talked about a lot for the past couple of years, sort of Apple's entry into this um, sector. And I, I think, you know, our, our CEO, Sebastian Simikowski, has been very you know, clear about this mm -hmm. in terms of actually this is a sort of, it's sort of a, a stamp of approval, I'd say, to this sector and sort of the yes, view of, you know, yes. buy now, pay later and where the trends are going in terms of, you know, consumer preference. That that's the route that they're taking rather than, you know, credit cards. And take a big step back, you know, talk a bit about credit cards and, you know, some of the challenges that consumers have faced with those and the shift we're seeing. It's It remains, you know, a multi-trillion pound industry with, you mm -hmm. know, so much potential to dis disrupt. Mm -hmm. UK consumers 
pay over six billion pounds in interest and fees each year on credit cards. There's so much potential to disrupt there that actually, you know, Apple coming into the sector and, you know, promoting alternatives to credit cards, you know, fundamentally, we see that as a positive in terms of giving consumers choice. I think competition always dry is one of the best drivers to good consumer outcomes. You know, competition hand in hand with, you know, sensible proportion regulation. So actually, I sort of fundamentally, you know, see that as, as, oh, as a sort of as oh. a positive in terms of sort of yeah. endorsement of the sector um and i think again so you it's, kind of, sorry go ahead Elaine. it's a all boats rise in the rising tide isn't it yeah that's what i would say i think you know if i was a credit card company i would be you know i would be concerned if i was off, if i was out there offering <laughs> you know 40 percent apr credit cards <laughs> and then you know another provider's coming along with you know good you know brand trust and recognition um uh, you know, offering interest-free credit, then I then I would be concerned. Oh, yeah. I, think I think that's a countdown for when you're going to be out of business. If that was the case, yeah. Okay, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Okay, okay. Uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, we can't have a conversation in 2023 without talking <laughs> about AI and yes. Chat GPT and the various iterations of it. So, tell me, how is Klarna um, embracing and using Chat GPT in the organisation, in particular, to to, to enhance? shopping experience with consumers you mentioned a little bit at the very beginning but I want you to sort of expand on that please yeah that's such a great question it's something that we're spending so much time internally kind of talking about focusing on and now really importantly delivering against mm-hmm. and uh, let me give like a, a broad spectrum view I think in terms of like our mission sort of our mission statement at Clara it's always been to you know the principles behind it were save people time, save them money, help them worry less about their, their, their finances and built these amazing capabilities within the Klarna app and you know, gives people support 24-7. Um, where you then look at kind of the potential that AI can bring to that, where, again, with consumers' consent and their willingness to share their data, what that can achieve in terms of genuinely driving you know, significantly improved consumer service, but also much greater consumer mobility, much better mm-hmm. value for money is so exciting. I think this is going to be, you know, very much like our view is there's been other things, you know, whether it's crypto and other things discussed in the past as kind of transformational and financial yes, services. Yes, this yes. genuinely will be transformational for financial services. And that that's sort of our our dream scenario where Klarna could be this, you know, sort of your personal concierge financial advisor, suddenly, mm-hmm. you know, that could help you, you know, shift your mortgage around or save you money by moving your savings from here to there or help you save money with a, you know, purchase or making with a retailer. Suddenly these feel like an absolute reality. And we've got um, right now, you know, um, an amazing kind of array of internal projects running at Klarna across like different capabilities. So we're looking to leverage um, uh, ChatGPT and that, ranges from legal obviously it ranges like engineering in terms mm-hmm. of software development but it goes across to recruitment marketing compliance just so many different areas where we see kind of potential where this can have a transformational impact and one where we've already launched um in the us which is super exciting mm-hmm. is around we've created um you know a Klarna plugin with ChatGPT. so we've been working with the team at open ai mm-hmm. and essentially what that can do is if a, you know a customer gets the the, the Klarna plugin they can utilize the capabilities that we've built integrated with chat gpt for example to we already have these great capabilities to help consumers search for products that they want to buy and to compare prices and to get yes. advice but this takes that to the next level so you could go in there elaine you can search for something that you're looking for maybe for 
you know, a birthday present for your partner, you can literally go in there and go like, give me inspiration. You can give some details on their interests mm-hmm. or, you know, what you know, their age and whatever, et cetera. And it'll come back with recommendations. You can then interact with it in terms of chat, say, no, that's not quite right. I'm thinking more like this. And it will come back with recommendations for you as, as a shopper. So again, mm-hmm. it goes back to this amazing capability where if you look to like traditionally how you might do that, you might be on Google where you're searching and kind of recent research has looked, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I think it's mm-hmm. the same suggested that roughly 40% of kind of uh, search findings that come up, say Google, aren't relevant to you. This is the opposite. This is absolutely targeted to you, Elaine, your interests or the item that you're searching for and um, that we've built through this like integrated target. So personalised. So and again, it goes comes back to consumers, their willingness to kind of share their information. But if they're getting the benefits, because it's you know, back to it's saving them time or they're getting the best deals, comparing prices. So it's saving them money. Yeah, they're getting the it's, return. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a win-win. I hate that phrase, but it, it, what, what, yes, kind of unthinkable, win-win. unthinkable. Even just a few years ago. So, I mean, for us, it's kind of it's just absolutely full steam ahead. We've got dedicated teams working on this mm-hmm. internally. Like I say, we've got projects working across all these different areas. Also, looking at things like underwriting and fraud protection. We're looking at how we can utilize ChatGPT capabilities. So it's just amazing the way it can support for software development as well in terms of. Mm-hmm. Identifying just, problems with software, you know, software coding—it's just yeah. incredible, time-saving. I'm, I'm just wondering, Alex, it, it, in the, the financial sector, or is just around fintech, um, because this time last, this this time last year, or even earlier than that, people we weren't talking about this, and I'm just wondering, yeah. are we playing catch-up um, and being excited by what we're discovering at the same time, or are we sort of, you know, in a in a measured way getting involved? Um, using ChatBT within um, organisations? What do you think? What are you seeing generally across the board? Yeah, I would say, I'd say in reality, we probably we probably are playing catch up. So you think from an AI capability, there's just been some amazing tools out there. So even you go, you know, the sad topic of looking at kind yeah. of like the war in Ukraine, some of the amazing AI capabilities that's been developed mm. where they can mm-hmm. overlay onto satellite information to identify yes. like movements yes. of vehicles and artillery to then give insights and feedback in. Just like incredible capabilities out there, which would historically have taken a huge, you know, a huge mm-hmm. amount of manpower and wouldn't have had anywhere near the level of accuracy mm-hmm. um, as we're seeing with these kind of capabilities. I think what happened to a certain extent over the past six months, particularly with like version three of ChatGPT, yeah. you know, and V4 now even like off, you know, off the chart, but it was just this yeah. sort of realization where these chatbots that we've been interacting with in the past where you customer service and it it actually felt a bit soul destroying didn't it you go on and you'd be like you can talk with our chatbot in the middle of the night and it's just all it would do would be like don't understand your question yes. or here are links yes. to three pages on our site which might help answer your question this is just completely different you know it's yeah. a game changer in terms of and uh, in terms of the the breadth of support the sophistication of support but also the ease of use i think that's like you know us again us like ceo sebastian he talked about this sort of plugin and it's sort of passing what he calls his kind of north star his mum test which is like mm-hmm. Could his mum use this like would she use it does it help her and i think like this the way the the ease of interaction the fact you can have this dialogue say actually it's not quite right mm-hmm. it's more like this and then it's coming back and iterating you know in real time mm-hmm. i think we are you know i think it's sort of suddenly you've realized this capability is out there but it's brought it absolutely to the forefront and mm-hmm. now it's you know people sort of are to a certain extent racing to catch up to go actually yeah. this capability mm-hmm. that recognition that this capability could be an absolute 
game changer. I think, you know, if you think to reviewing documents and sort of when you're trying to compare and contrast and understand where change might need to happen, you can do that, you know, the first part of that in a matter of seconds if you're putting the right kind of instructions. And, um, and I think that's part of what's going to be interesting in sort of the evolution of this will be actually the skill for us as humans. Yes. <laughs> we'll I don't know. About I how so. you interact with it. What did really caught up then we see? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. The right instructions, if yeah. you see what but, I mean, but, to get I, the I right think it's very exciting. I mean, I'm constantly looking online and what people are posting about it. And I think it's really exciting and mind blowing. Never thought about that five years ago. It almost I uh, imagined it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Concept of time. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to talk generally about um, finance, um, innovation, and you probably already answered the question, but if it's not chat GPT and AI, what do you think is the next big thing in fintech or even a subset of fintech? Yeah, so, I mean, I think two, like, really core kind of passions of mine and, like, they're aligning here together are, mm -hmm. are you know, fundamentally it's around giving consumers choice, giving them mobility and kind of mm -hmm. making sure they're getting good value. And, you know, it's been sort of the heart of what we focus on at Clara. And I think two capabilities, I and mean, we touched on one last year, but, you know, it's still super relevant, is around open banking and the transition to open finance and the transition to actually kind of smart data and mobile data. And that, for me, is key because ultimately that's around us as consumers, we own our data, like that's our value. We kind of get value in return for that kind of asset, if you see what I mean. So we choose to mm -hmm. share it and we get value back. And that becomes a sort of a precursor then to much greater consumability. So if you think about open banking right now, now you can choose to view you know, all of your bank accounts, different banks in one place, you start to, you can get much better kind of insights and dashboards that sit over that to save you your spending, mm -hmm. um, where you could maybe change your utilities or your, you know, things like Snoop okay. do really well, okay. where you could change your utilities or your, your you know, TV, you know, your yeah. you know, TV yeah. provider, etc. So really like valuable insights is like, you know, bring some of those capabilities from open banking. Open finance then broadens that out, you know, far greater beyond kind of traditional your bank account to kind of other services and capabilities, whether it's pensions or investments and all other areas. Mm -hmm. I think in the end, it transitions through to we as consumers have our data across all these different kind of, kind of platforms or kind of networks and can choose to like move them as we, you know, as we prefer to extract the most value. And so that could be right, you know, do change your bank account because you will get better value. Do shift your investment. Do move your mortgage. Do yeah, shift your yeah. pension. Do consolidate. And it, the next stage on top of that then is, is the AI, AI capability, which has almost like brought this to the next level, which is it yeah. can then start to be interpreting that to make really strong, like real-time recommendations to you that you can interact with. Mm -hmm. um, you can challenge back. So actually that doesn't fit with like, you don't fully understand maybe my situation's changed. That's not quite what I want to be doing. That's a risk I want to take, or mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to have that sophistication that it, you know, often in the past we've been relying on a, fun, a, a human financial advisor to assimilate all this information. Actually yeah. to provide that information will be easier because of you know smart data, but then okay. to interpret it and extract value will come from, the AI, AI capabilities. So I think for me, I mean, this is genuinely going to be, I think, okay. break down some of those barriers that we've seen with incumbent banks over the last 150 years, where so many of those barriers were hoarding of our data, hoarding of our information and hoarding of expertise. I'm actually quite glad that I've included that question. I, I was going to leave it out because I I made an assumption, which I shouldn't have, is that it's pretty much AI and chat with GBT, so it's pointless asking that question. But I'm thank, thank you that um, you've expanded on that. Um, briefly, briefly, um, conscious of the time again, um, 
Klarna launched the Money Talks game. Um, what is that all about? What are the aims and objectives? I read this somewhere, but didn't inquire further. So if you can briefly for my listeners, tell us about that. Yeah, sure. This was actually something that we started three years ago, Money Talks, and it was very much in the context of the pandemic, people's situations changing and being concerned about their money. And it's mm-hmm. more relevant than ever if you think about where we are with cost of living crisis. So right now, today, recent survey, 48% of the adult population are concerned about their personal finances. And that's actually got worse from last year, where it was 44%. But that mm-hmm. was a record high last year. So you can just see like the, you know, the stress that people have in terms of you know, concerns about where they are right now, but where their personal finances are going to be going. So that was a kind of the starting point. When we then started to dip into that in more detail, we sort of tried to understand our customers and their concerns about their money. Bizarrely, well, not bizarrely, but interestingly, we found that actually people in general, like in the UK, are, are more comfortable talking about some really difficult, knotty topics, whether it's politics, whether it's fertility, yeah, whether yeah, it's relationship yeah. breakups. They're more comfortable talking about that with their friends and family than they are about their personal finances. <laughs> so not only are they worried about their personal finances, they're really struggling to find ways to kind of communicate and talk about that in a mm-hmm. sort of an easier way. And that was really the genesis of Money Talks back in 2020. And we're now on the kind of third iteration was how could we make like and simplify the conversations about money? Exactly. About the taboo of it, where you kind of people feel very uncomfortable to say, actually, I'm I'm finding this difficult. I'm worried about this. Actually, yeah. my costs are going up here, and, and to kind of share that load, and and so yeah. and, and how is created, it going? Yeah, yeah, it's going really well. I've had like thousands of like um, users come on and access the game. So it's an online game. The way Money Talks works, yeah. and essentially you can go through various rounds. It essentially is facilitating that conversation, like a fun, a light-hearted way. I really recommend people give it a go. You can you can oh. find it at clarkclarnamoneytalks.com. Oh, I might put a direct way. link in your show notes so that the people can click yeah. after listening to that. And just very briefly, if you can, what are the community activities? Is Klarna championing? Yeah, so really important for us at Klarna has always been around how, you know, what can we do to support and, and tackle climate change? And we've we've worked on that from a, a consumer lens side. So one of the capabilities we haven't talked about within the app is you can now we've put a, an improved carbon footprint tracker mm. into the app so you can you can see the kind of carbon foot, footprint associated with the purchase you're making you can make informed decisions about what you buy so again helping to get people to think about that as consumers but going over and above that from a from a kind of kind of Klarna group level a really important initiative to us over the past couple of years has been mm. what we call give one um, which is an initiative where we contribute one percent of all of the fundraising you know in all future fundraising rounds to tackling uh, climate change and, you know, goes towards high impact projects that can help protect mm-hmm. the planet's mm-hmm. health. Um, so that's been really important. Actually, we've just recently launched the annual kind of Give One 2022-2023 uh, report, which looks at where, you know, those funds that we've invested. So I think over, yeah, over $10 million already have been invested into um, our Give One initiative. And it's amazing, actually, because it's going directly to like on the ground kind of projects and initiatives. And I think that is super important. And not only that, not only is it funding that we put in from a Klarna side through our fundraising rounds and that 1%, but also we have now, we've built again within the app, the ability for our consumer base. So, yeah. you know, over 150 million consumers globally, they can also make donations to those underlying projects where they can see. So we've supported um, oh, six environmental initiatives. So, so no, there's, there's so there's a lot that you're doing. Okay, um, it's really it's the last question, and I expect a yes or a no for that one, Alex. Only, um, 
have we covered everything um this time oh, i think elaine like every time we speak we speak faster um <laughs> we speak longer um but i would have to say i think this time we have covered it all this time um more than happy to come back in a year's time and give another update yes. but Yes, Thanks so much for the I'd like to know where we're at with regulations. I think that will be very important. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll have regulation. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You cynic. I'm sure you will. <laughs> okay, so we did it. We did it. Part two is done, which is brilliant. Alex Marsh, yet again, a great conversation. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.